Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Going to look back at the Notre Dame review. Some good, some bad, and some uh, real ugly stuff to take away from it. But we'll uh, give you an idea and try to get a point or two of the optimistic and, and maybe a point or two of that of which uh, we as fans should continue to be concerned about. So with that, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Louisiana Hot Sauce, title sponsor of the Nolcast and Bud thought we might try something a little bit different uh, tonight. And the, and the fact that we're actually going to weave our listener questions more or less into the game review itself. A lot of different things that we kind of have down that we want to touch on. But for the most part, it looks like we'll kind of organically touch on almost everything from the game, uh, that of which we have had sent to us. So uh, we'll give this a shot. If it works, great. If not, uh, plenty of other games to tinker with the game review model. But uh, let's jump into it. Look forward to it as always. And uh, off we go. Absolutely, man. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this tonight. Uh, first question comes uh, from Kessna. We're, we're going to start with the offense. Uh, and he says, hey, the O-line appeared to do a good job of holding the point of attack on running plays and executed a few pulls well. How is this offensive line able to execute the, these more complex blocking schemes uh, when they couldn't do basic blocking schemes last weekend or uh, last season, rather? I, I think he means couldn't as opposed to could. He wrote could, but I, I think he means couldn't. Uh, well, you know, this is a good question. And one of the reasons why I do like taking listener questions is because it helps me to understand what our audience uh, is and is not getting from the show, right? From my perspective, I, I thought I, I've actually explained this prior. Uh, but when you run the quarterback, you are creating an extra gap. It allows you to execute more double teams. It gives you more advantageous angles. It also allows you literally to run the football more. FSU is running more. It is using a lot more play-action fakes than it ever has. It's basically running a, a spread option type offense. So that allows the offensive line to be more aggressive. I don't think these blocking schemes are, are any more complicated than what they ran uh, last year in, in many circumstances. I mean, you're, you're, if anything, you're, you're getting help from your, your fellow offensive linemen even more. If there's a downside to this, it could be that you're, you're not really getting a whole lot of development right now as a dropback pass protector because most of the pass protection you're doing is actually off-run action. And some of the RPO stuff. So again, you're you're presenting at least initial impact run action stuff there, but that's the main thing. And this is something that we saw as well with uh, with Jimbo Fisher in 2008, right? With Christian Ponder, uh, that offensive line really couldn't drop back pass protect to save its life. But they ran the heck out of Christian. They, they ran a lot of spread option type concepts that year, and. They got the offensive line. Remember that? It was like Jermaine Thomas and Ty Jones and, and those dudes. You see this a lot over college football when you have young offenses but with young lines, young athletic quarterbacks who are not good throwers or you know, maybe they can't throw at all. This is what FSU has resorted to doing right now. And with all that said, I, I do think that credit needs to go to Alex Atkins, man. He had some really big shoes to fill. With, with Randy Clements, who's now at Ole Miss, and, and Ole Miss is putting up a billion points a game on offense. And, and I mean, they have pretty good personnel there on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is, uh, th their defense makes FSU's defense look, look all world. Ultimately, I think Alex Atkins is doing a really nice job. He's brought some of the young talent along. 
He's incorporated it. We're seeing Robert Scott play with aggression. Okay, maybe not with strength yet. He still needs to still need to put on mass, but he he's moving fairly well. He's long. I think Robert Scott is playing pretty good for you. Maybe we'll see if the guy who we actually heard a lot about from our sources in camp, who they liked in, in Garrett Schrader. Maybe we'll see him in the second half of the year. I know he's dealt with some injury stuff. So ultimately, running the quarterback is a offensive line's best friend. That's that's the main thing. I really don't think it's that much more complicated than what they were doing prior. There's, now it may look more complicated because of all the different action they have going on in the backfield. It is an offensive uh, line's best friend, and it could be a quarterback's best friend as far as the simplification of the game. And you know, frequently it can just come down to a numbers game as to what part of the defense you want to try to attack based off what you see uh, at the line of scrimmage. And I'm not uh, necessarily arguing with you at all, but I will say numbers advantage or not, uh, the line blocked in a manner that I didn't expect them to at all. And obviously you put yourself in the best situation by leaning on Travis and his feet and, and what it does to the defense. But and I'm not saying that you were taken away from him. We were just sitting here giving praise to the offensive line coach. But there was a level of effort and uh, committed level of aggressive play from the offensive line that I, I give an awful lot of credit to. And it was fun to watch. It was, you know, something that you can kind of build off of. And if you can have a competent running game, well, then you can stay in just about every damn game on the schedule with the exception of Clemson. So uh, you can give yourself a chance. And I was, uh, I was really, you know, thrilled for lack of words as to the level of performance you got out of the offensive line and, and the run game in particular on Saturday night because I, I did not expect it. They've coached it up. It looked competent. Like right now, I would, I would kind of compare this offense and this offensive coaching. Like the offense is like a number seven or a number eight hitter in your lineup, right? You know he's limited. You look at what he can do. You look at what he can't do. Okay, he cannot hit the outside pitch. Right now, the outside pitch is the drop back passing game. You can't protect it. You can't throw it so far. Like you just you can't do it. So what do you do? Say, all right, hey, if they can execute, they, they can pitch us on the outside corner. We'll strike out. Okay. So if we're facing a number one starter, eh, that's going to be a tough day for us at the plate. But if we're facing somebody's number three or four or five starter, maybe they'll leave one on the inside part of the plate. And then against that kind of pitch, because we're a pull hitter, we do that very well. We're going to be competitive against that sort of pitch offering. And, and that's sort of my analogy for this schedule, right? Clemson is your Greg Maddox. They could put you on the outside part of the plate and you're a guy that can't hit that pitch. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame is kind of Greg maddox Everybody else on this schedule, I'm not saying that you will beat them, but everybody else is at least theoretically beatable as far as can your offense move the ball against them at least somewhat. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that analogy make, makes sense. I'm, I'm very much in, uh, in happy that we have playoff baseball. I'm happy that the Rays are, are 2-0 mode right now. And, and honestly, you know, happy that the FSU showed some improvement in this game. I, I know you could say they got 10 points off turnovers, and that's, that's fair. You could say they probably did not deserve to cover the spread. I agree with you there, too, on that, to be honest. They did, and... I know they feel good about it. Any kind of way, way you can build confidence in this team is, is something that's sort of needed. Eric asked the second question of the evening, and it is, in your opinion, is the level of play we saw from Travis on Saturday night sustainable? While we have to admire his grit and toughness, I feel as though he will struggle to stay healthy, taking that many hits over multiple weeks. Look, I, I made this comment on Barton and Bud in speaking about Sam Ellinger. And I believe Ellinger in that game, now granted it went to overtime, so the numbers are, are even bigger, but I think he either passed or ran 
on 76 of Texas's 87 plays, which is absolutely insane. Jordan Travis threw 24 times uh, and had 19 rushing attempts. Included in that is the you know the, the four sacks. Although I believe Blackman was actually sacked once, maybe twice. I'm trying to remember now. Okay, twice. Yeah, I believe. So I mean, Blackman's quarterback rating was actually off the charts, but it was basically garbage time, and he also was sacked twice. So which is probably more evidence of the fact that you're not really going to have much of a drop back game here uh, with with this offense and, and with the configuration that you have. But ultimately, like 24 th- passing attempts and 19 rushes, it is a little bit high. I, I, I think Derek is onto something there. But that's no guarantee that you get hurt, although Travis did get injured in this game. And, and the way Mike Norbell spoke about him today, he does expect him to back into play, but also admitted he was limited on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think from a, is this level of using Travis sustainable? Sure. I think it is. Now, maybe we'll get a different question about how teams will adjust what FSU is doing. And maybe that's a different discussion. But like, do you think this is too much, Travis? Uh, I, th- I think it is what it has to be right now. You know, I mean, I just don't see any other way to get it done. And I, I think that he'll probably have some injury concerns at some point in time, particularly for a kid who's seemingly dealt with him previously. And um, somebody who's not shy about taking a shot. In fact, it, it, there's times in the games where he goes out of his way to get himself into the mix. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, Travis will miss some snaps because injury. I'm almost certain of it at some point in time, but I, I don't think there's a real alternative, nor do I think there's a method of game to which you can play that, that helps protect him. I mean, you, you know, it's not as though you can drop him back and, and protect or anything else. I mean, this is every situation that you have points to this being it, you know, what it is. So I think you're going to have to function with it as much as possible. And, Hope that you have some injury luck on a kid who maybe hadn't had all that much of it. If, if you're going to put him in there, you need to run him. There's no reason to, to, to try to preserve Jordan Travis. It's not like you're preserving him for his throwing ability, right? 151 of his 204 passing yards came on just five throws. That means you got about 53 yards on the other 19 dropbacks. On average, not on average, but like the, the, you know, the, the most common play when they dropped back to pass, was a very ineffective play. They were able to hit some explosive plays. I think part of that, a large part of that, was off-play action because the defense did have to respect the run and specifically Travis's legs. If you're going to play him, run him, period. Like I, I don't think Jordan Travis is a long-term solution for FSU at quarterback. I think he's a you know, couple-game, maybe one-season solution, depending on how, on how well Chubb Party comes along. I, I don't think he's your starter in... Uh, in 2021 at this point they got the the kid to bite on the the slant on third and four yeah uh, which is another 50 yards or 54 yards or whatever that was so yeah so that's a great point you bring up by the way i we we, we broke this down before the show when, when Ingram and i were sorting through some of the data so the it was third and four right which means you have to respect the threat of his legs and you have to respect the threat of the short pass. And they didn't actually play action that, if I recall, right? They, they just, they, they, they pump faked it and went. But that's kind of basically a, like, I don't think that that's his third or fourth read. I'm pretty sure he pumps it. He looks at, okay, if we got it, throw it. If not, take off. Especially because where they were on the field, if I recall, that was the, was that the 48-yarder? No, that was the 31-yarder, right? 
Uh, they're right at they're right at about midfield on that play. I mean, the, he ends up letting it go about six or seven yards on the other side of the field. Oh, that was the end of the first quarter one. Yep. Right. Okay. So they're they're third and four at the Notre Dame forty eight. There, Mike Norvell, to his credit, has shown uh, that he will go for it on fourth down when appropriate. Generally, I think I've, I think if you looked at kind of like what the metrics say, almost all of his fourth down decisions when the game was still in the balance and not garbage time have been at least neutral, if not like helping your, your win expectancy. So I think that's a really smart play. Like that's, that shows coaching and thought process and building and planning. Hey, we're going to run a slant and go because we're confident that we're going to come back and go for it on fourth down here from midfield because we're trying to win the game. Now kicking the field goal early in the game, not really a, a winning the game decision. I think that's more image management, getting on the board, maybe giving your guys some confidence in getting that zero. You know, that, that's sort of a nebulous factor. Certainly, it's not the decision that's going to help you win the game from a maximizing your scoring chances standpoint. Uh, but I'm willing to accept that maybe with a young team that you're trying to build stuff, maybe there is a you know more important thing to like building confidence there, and also making sure that you avoid a shutout because you don't know how many chances you're going to get <laughs> down deep against probably the second best team that you play all year. So yeah, I, I like staying out of these long down and distance situations, which allow team, which are basically FSU has got to keep the threat of the run alive at all times on third and four Travis's legs are a legitimate threat that you need to account for in the past defense that you call as a coordinator third and eight. Not really, man. Like, it's just hard to scramble for eight. It's not that hard to scramble for four. You see what I'm saying? Like that matters so much that there's so much you can do in those downs, staying ahead of the chains. You know, they were 18% success rate on Saturday night on second and eight plus third and five plus success rate on all, all their plays was actually like north of 40%. I mean, we're talking about more than double. That's, uh, I think they're actually pretty close to 50% for a while. You know, they were running hot there for a little bit. Staying ahead of the chains at this offense, getting some of those five-yard gains on, on first down, you know, on second and 10, getting it back to third and four, that, that's, that's a really big deal. In order to do that, I do think you need to keep running, running Jordan Travis a lot. Second part of the question is, what adjustments do you anticipate from defense coordinators who have now had meaningful game film of Travis? I mean, I think we agree that you can kind of go one of two ways here. You could either blitz them more or you could see people that take the mentality that you're going to make, you know, you're going to make Travis earn it. You're going to drop a few more, uh, maybe have somebody either spy or, or general idea of contain and uh, Notre Dame blitz, what, 40% of the time, bud? Yeah, I think you'll have one of those. I think you'll have one, one of two very distinctive paths taken by defenses that they'll either be real aggressive, try to make him quick, make quick decisions and see if he's able to do that. Or uh, they'll just try to prevent some of these longer, bigger plays that we just talked about and, you know, make him be uh, smart over a series of 10, 12, 14, 16 plays and see if he can do that. I I think it's probably the latter. Um, Other stuff I, I would do is I would probably try, try to, to, to do more blitzes off the outside and see if I can just win one-on-one more against against FSU's guards on the inside because I'm not really convinced FSU's guards are playing that well just from what I've seen. Um, and then 
Another thing, and this is a positive for the Knowles because they did get such a good effort out of him, but I, I would uh, I, I would probably play a little more bracket on Terry because Terry was his first read on a lot of stuff on, on Saturday night. And if, if Terry's going to play that way, you, you really need to kind of go Belichick school and say, okay, we're going to take away what you do best. That's as good as I've seen Terry look consistently from play one to, you know, last play of the game in a long time. So, you know, whatever happened there, seems to have worked out the effort that we saw in Jacksonville state that we thought was one of the few things that you can take away and don't have to, you know, put that through the filter of level of competition, I think was consistent. I thought you got pretty, pretty good level of effort out of the wide receivers. Um, And Terry was, you know, obviously that's a guy playing for money and good for him. And he should, he should play with as much focus and determination. But uh, if that's the Tamori and Terry that you can get the rest of the year, then, I'll take it in a heartbeat and feel fairly confident with what you can do with your wide receivers moving forward. Brian writes, Hey, the way uh, the offense played against Notre Dame and the emergence of Jordan Travis as a viable option quarterback has me encouraged. Keeping everything this season so far the same, if we play Georgia Tech again next Saturday and in Miami again the week after, I think we'd beat GT by at least two touchdowns, uh, but lose to Miami in a similar fashion uh, of how we did the first time because of how bad the defense has looked. Agree or disagree? How do you think we'd fare in those hypothetical games? Uh, I think you're kind of short selling Georgia Tech there. I mean, they just had a good performance against Louisville. That's a decent team. You know, I mean, they're not any world beaters. The thing we said after when you lost to them, I, I'm not trying to make them out into any great team, but I don't know that you necessarily uh, slap them around by two touchdowns just because we feel a little bit more confident about what's going on here. Uh, Miami game, I agree with you, Brian, I think plays out in a somewhat similar fashion. Maybe you have a little bit more success, maybe you have a slight amount of more discipline on defense, but on the whole, I think you're, uh, you, this ain't 2013 with Dabo saying that if you played 10, you know, each each side would win five, I'll put it that way. Miami is a significantly better team than you are and and better in the areas that, you know, lead to the type of performance where we're doing the instant five minutes into halftime, so. I completely agree with you about the Miami game. I, I don't think this offense, honestly, running it the way they're they're running it right now, would have been that much different against Miami. Maybe some, um, but like you, you would have also been taken out of your, out of your game plan pretty quickly because of how well Miami's offense was was scoring against Georgia Tech. FSU put up thirteen points. They they had that great opening drive on script, and then after that, they basically you know didn't really do a damn thing. But keep in mind, Georgia Tech should have won that game by more. So if we're keeping all things constant, Georgia Tech probably should have scored mid to high 20s, if not you know, low 30s, given how well they moved the ball at times. FSU got very lucky with turnovers there. Uh, and I don't know how many more points FSU is scoring against Georgia Tech uh, in, in that game if you play Travis instead. There were a lot of things that I think surprised this coaching staff on offense in that game. Some of the communication up front, the receiver play. You didn't have Tamari and Terry in that game as far as like actually have him balling out. He, he seemed to be in a we, – we, we discussed that obviously with, with, with the passing of his grandma. Uh, you weren't playing Robert Scott at the time, who I, I think has been a, a good player for you as, as a true freshman. So – I, I don't think that they beat Georgia Tech by, by two scores if they, if they line up and play that again. But his question, I guess, is next Saturday. So I'm, I'm closer to your answer. I'm just kind of in my head thinking, if you plugged and played Travis in that game, you know, how would that have gone? One thing we know goes really well 
is Colin Shannon Young, 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Ingram, we're closing in on 100. Dude, this is crazy. 100 listeners going through the NOLCAST loan program with Shannon Young. Make a legendary decision, 844-FSU-LOAN. Great customer service, awesome rates, a little bit of NOL chatter. Just, just an awesome dude to work with. So give him a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. Next headline here we have says both sides, which here means offense and defense. So I'll, I'll lead it off with this question from TJ. And TJ asks, hey, offensive line uh, over the defensive line, how did we get here? Is it simply coaching because we don't have playmaking running backs yet? Parentheses, Travis can be electric and he helps escape pressures. And we were supposed to have some above average defensive line play, at least interior, which leads to the next question. Why would, more, why would Marvin forego the draft to come back out of shape and non-explosive? He's losing money by the week. Appreciate you guys and your honest takes. I appreciate your support there, TJ. Um, so is the offensive line better than the defensive line? In the first two games, I would say no. In the first quarter of the Jacksonville State game, I would say no. But at the same time, against Notre Dame, I definitely think the, the offensive line was better than the defensive line because the offensive line, at least in some areas, was not an embarrassment. Right, you know, pretty, uh, pretty pleased with with what they did. The problem that I see with the defensive line and the question asked, how did we get here? Well, we had major concerns at depth, defensive end. We noted in our preview series, if you want to go back and listen to it, that they had largely recruited to a three four defense for the last two years, and now they're going to run a forty three, uh, which is a you know, pretty standard defense, and you should be able to transition to that, but. Some of the pieces maybe don't fit quite as well. Josh Kando gets hurt, doesn't look like the dominant force that we all heard he was in you know, the limited fall camp that they had. Now, granted, they're also going against FSU's offensive line, which we know how bad they looked in the first two games. How do you think they might have looked there when they were trying to install this offense? That's potentially <laughs> you know, a, a problem now, and I think an issue that it was actually an issue for the last two coaching staffs. In, in misassessing their their defensive uh, defensive talent there at the end position because of how bad the tackles were in practice, but with the D tackles, man, so you get you get Corey Durden who was hurt in the off season. I don't think he's come back quite like like they had hoped he would, or not hope, really kind of expected he would. Robert Cooper has the whole like hand wrist thing going on. He was largely ineffective in the game. I thought on Saturday night they they need to get him back and healthy. Before we hit record, Ingram and I were talking about Fabian Lovett and how we thought he might need to get some more snaps because he actually you know, did some decent decent things there. The other thing is I think the coaching has been better on the offensive line than it has the defensive line. Alex Atkins, his group's not perfect. They blow assignments once in a while. But I feel like they are playing more together as a unit than the defense is. We have a question about this later in the show. Somebody asks about some of the explosive runs that are allowed on some of these runs, this is just pretty basic stuff. Either FSU is wrong-arming incorrectly, right? Which, in that case, they need to take on the block more traditionally. Or, if they're taught to wrong-arm on a certain defensive call, which is possible. And by wrong-arm, I mean, instead of like you know taking contain and allowing the guy to you know, to cut back inside where your pursuit is. Sometimes they actually want, want you to wrong-arm it and, and allow it to be bouncing you know, the ball to be out, bounce to the outside and you spill it and all of a sudden you know, that you, you got flow over the top to come help. They're not playing together as a unit in conjunction with the backers 
far too frequently to be a successful defense. Like your ends and backers are not playing together. Sometimes I think you have a defensive line that is missing. They're missing signals, right? It's like FSU has a hit and run on, and part of FSU's defensive line gets the stolen base, like, like you know, steal the base sign, and the other half doesn't get the, hey, put the hit and run down sign, right? Or they're running the suicide squeeze, but they miss the damn butt sign. And they get called out of home plate. Like there's there's some of those explosive runs. The initial problem is that you 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 know you have 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 like like, like a TN stunt here, and only half of them are doing it. So they run into each other. It's it's absolutely crazy. So that 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 to me is poor coaching and poor poor coordination across the defense. And with Marvin, I I think he just I don't know, man. That one puzzles me. I really don't don't know why he would come back looking out of shape, not explosive. I never thought he was a great pass rusher. But I don't think he's been nearly as good this year as he was last year. I went back and watched uh, tape of Marvin over the past couple of days because I just tried to, like, did I just build this guy up out of nothing? What, what did this come from? Go back and watch the first three quarters of the Boise State game. You see, you see a, a player that's so different than what we've seen through four games that it is hard to make sense of. And he's always a better run blocker, but he's he had... Uh, a gear that we haven't even sniffed this year when it comes to to at least playing on the other side of the line and if not sacking the quarterback, uh, you know, pushing a guy back into him, limiting what the quarterback can see, how comfortable he feels, et cetera. None of which has even transpired in the slightest other than, uh, you know, throwing an FCS kid down to the ground in the second half of a game uh, and sacking the quarterback. So that's tough. That's real tough. I, I think you're... You know, the defensive ends that you play with, I'm, I'm certainly uh, Kane Doe seems to be an intelligent guy, and, and Robinson looks like he's on track to graduate, and, and that's a, a really good thing. But, uh, you know, you don't necessarily see the smartest brand of football played by your ends uh, on defense. And, and I don't know if that's a, a coaching thing or just two guys that are kind of set in their ways and not able to adjust in the, you know, later parts of their collegiate career. But, um, the more I watch the defense, the more frustrated I get with 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 our defensive end right now. So yeah, like there, there's criticism to go around all, all around the defense, and let, let's go ahead and get to more questions here because I, I know we're, we're going to be able to get to more of this. Santosh has a couple. All right. So first is will the offensive output go down as opponents get more tape on JT thirteen? So we kind of talked about this uh, as far as what they will do with him. Uh, we talked about either the ability to try to blitz him, make him feel uncomfortable, or uh, make, him, make him earn it, uh, to put a short phrase together. Um, will, it, will it go down? I'm sure people will tailor their game some to it, but a lot of the stuff that Florida State's running is fairly simple enough that I, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of things that you can do when you're just talking about numerical advantage running with a quarterback. That uh, will be fascinating to see. There will certainly be some adjustment as it has become clear that he's the guy that you're going to see at quarterback. Yeah, look, I, I definitely think there will be some games that that Travis struggles in, and I think there will be some games that FSU has the right recipe and is able to you know to to win it and and to, to keep defense soft balance. Uh, the thing is, like you just played one of the better defenses you're going to play. Now, maybe maybe UNC is the answer for you this weekend. Uh, I will say in my buds bets column, I've already played UNC. At minus ten at the open, and I also played the over sixty one. So I don't know really. Yeah, so it, it's it's at it's sixty one, sixty one and a half, and the line is now uh, 13, 13 and a half. So if you got that ten, actually it dipped down to nine and a half at after I bet it 
uh, for a moment, which kind of scared me. I, I understand how this could be a low-scoring game against UNC, potentially, if they just both decide they want to run the ball a lot. Maybe you get some weather there. Uh, but ultimately, uh, I, I, I think I have this uh, 42-27 Tar Heels. That's a little little spoiler for, for my, my preview. I, I think that you're going to be able to put up enough points if you can keep creating some of these explosive plays. This is an element of the offense with Jordan Travis that we did not see with James Blackman or with Tate Rodemaker is the ability to create some explosive plays. And I think the main reason is you're getting more single coverage on the outside, right? Like teams did not have to worry about the run game really at all when Blackman was in there. That that allowed them to play more of the shell stuff and, and not allow FSU to get the ball down the field as much. And with Travis, you do have to have the extra guy in the box sometimes to account for the, for the threat of the run, which is why it's so important to stay ahead of those chains. Because if you don't have to count for the threat of the run, and you have Jordan just dropping back, then you got real problems. Uh, but the the offensive explosive stuff is has really been a major key with him in there over the last seven quarters. Santosh asks, uh, instead of looking at opposing defensive lines, potential loss indicators, will you guys start looking at opposing offensive lines instead? For example, top 40 offensive line equals definite loss since our defensive line has decided to disappear. Uh, well, I, I feel like we we spent a long time on the offensive line and tight ends of Notre Dame, and those tight ends and, and offensive lines certainly whipped FSU's defensive line's ass. Uh, so we will be, absolutely be sure to consider that <laughs> going forward. Although, I mean, we kind of usually do, right? I, I think we t- we talked about Georgia Tech's offensive line is not very good, and Miami's offensive line is not very good. I, I think both those things are actually still pretty true. Those teams protect them with with tempo and with running the quarterback, and now. Hey, FSU is actually doing the same thing, right? Some tempo, some running the quarterback, maybe making the offensive line look a little bit better than it actually is. Uh, we'll talk more about the UNC defensive line in the preview. Clemson's offensive line looks pretty good. NC State seems to be able to pass protect, but not run block, which is kind of weird. And there's a couple we'll, we'll, we'll discuss going forward. But you also have some, some ones on this slate that are maybe, maybe not great. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that each week for sure. Yeah, Jeffrey asks, uh, or Jeffrey states, reason for optimism. Miami got blown out and exposed, and UF has narrowed their margin for error for winning the East slash making the CFB playoff to zero by blowing a very winnable game. Meanwhile, Florida State managed to hang in with one of the better teams in the nation on the road and even lead at times, despite dealing with a defense that looks as if it's all but given up, a new quarterback, and a system that players still don't seem to entirely feel comfortable with. I walked away from that game happier than I've been in probably the last two seasons. Still have major concerns regarding the defense and also worried about Travis getting hit so often, uh, which brings back bad uh, moments at deja vu. Uh, but Florida State looked better in that loss than they looked in many of their most recent wins. You know, I, I agree. Um, let me ask you this. If final score of this game, 42-26, if it was 45-17, are you feeling the same way? As far as some of the optimism that he feels, I, I will say if if the rushing stats are there from this game, that's my biggest optimism. Yeah. So say the kid makes the field goal that he misses at nine minutes or whatever, and that you know maybe you don't convert some of the early turnovers that took place. I think that if if you show the ability to run and uh, you play with you know some of the moxie, uh, and I hate using terms like that, but I was impressed by the overall level of play uh for the most part everybody knows how bad the defense looked at times yeah i'm still even even with that scoreline but I, I think i'm somewhat optimistic not as much as 
you know, look, we're human nature. We, we, we like games to be close. It's hard for us to uh, look past a two score game versus the situation that you're talking about. But um, if some of the elements that are there that I'm basing some of the optimism or some of my reasons for wanting to think at least growth has occurred, then I, I still have some element of that. I, I think that's fair. It's also why you need to, to look at factors that are not, not the scoreboard, which obviously, you know, you just discussed. Jesse asked, uh, through four games, what are some of the items that we believe to be true, but the narrative has been proven wrong one third of the way through the season? It's only an hour long show, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> as far as, I mean, what we came out of camp thinking to be true, obviously the first one we're going to look at is that we thought we had a defensive line, a defensive interior that would be one of the better units in the country. We were wrong. Everybody was wrong. That one, you know, play the, uh, play the old unsolved mystery soundtrack on that one. Cause I don't know. Sure. I'm not sure anybody knows the exact answer as to what the hell is going on on the, the defensive interiors so far. Because well, it's it's different reasons for different guys, right? I mean, I, I think that's the thing. It's not just like, hey, it's only an Odell problem. Yeah, that would be the number one thing I, I think because it's it's one of the few legitimate strengths that you could you thought you could count on for this defense. And ultimately, you know, Marvin doesn't look explosive and in shape. Durden clearly lost more uh, than than we thought he lost coming off the injury. They've had a couple guys on this team, man, who had offseason injuries, and I think it really did impact their ability to work out over the summer. I mean, look, look, look at Dante Lucas. He looks worse this year than he did, than he did last year. And part of that was because I think Jeff Cameron was talking about this. Like they're looking for like for workout equipment for him to do his rehab. Yeah. Right. Uh, over, over the summer, as opposed to doing a regular type workout regimen. So he's, he's not getting stronger. He's getting, you know, getting weaker. I, I do want to see what these guys look like. With with Coach Storms because the people at Memphis were were very high on on Coach Storms and, and we'll have to see what what, he, what they look like when they've actually had a you know legitimate off season. Other narratives. So that was one that that we bought into for sure. That you'd have a really good defensive line on the interior. I don't think we were totally unjustified in do, in doing so. We didn't have a spring to look at. We didn't really have much fall camp to evaluate, and obviously they had it totally shut down. So no media was allowed at fall camp. So we're having to just go. You know, talk to our sources there. And what we're hearing is that they're blowing up this offensive line routinely to the point where sometimes, you know, you're having trouble getting plays off and all this kind of stuff. I would say one that, uh, that we both expressed skepticism about, but was out there was James Blackman's motion is much better because he's being so much better coach now. Did his motion look, look all that different to you in games once, once the bullets started flying? No, I mean, almost immediately. And that's a, you know, that's something that, you can work, you can rep. That's real tough to do. And we've talked about the different trains of thought as to whether or not people think you can really alter a guy's arm. Uh, we'll, we'll leave that be as, as what we've uh, covered. But no, I mean, that was out the door, out the door pretty much immediately. Um, I'll, I'll say here's one. The tight ends have not been horrible. You know, I mean, they have been better than maybe I thought coming out of camp so far. And I realized the bar was low, real low. Uh, but McDonald, while not blowing anybody away, has proven to be a better player than maybe I thought uh, was going was gonna to be there so far. So I, I will say that as much. Yeah, I, I don't know that I love what you're getting out of, of the backup tight ends, but McDonald has played really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least relative expectations. And like we know for a fact this, this staff was very worried about that tight end room. They used their last available scholarship 
to, to, to go and get the UCLA transfer Jordan Williams. I mean, that was something they were pretty concerned about. Good on McDonald for playing well there. How about, uh, how about the, the defensive ends, if they stayed healthy, would, would be really good? Swing and a big miss, man. And I, and I swung harder on that one than you did. Uh, just not there. I bought into the Kando stuff. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I don't know that I wildly bought into Robinson. I've always been skeptical as, as I, it's just never quite flourished as a, as a football player. Uh, certainly looks like it, but it's never come to fruition. But uh, yeah, uh, there just hasn't been much there at all, unfortunately. All right, let's go ahead and, uh, and get to the, uh, the defensive related questions here, if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Defensive side of the ball. Uh, we will thank our friends at uh, For the Table Restaurant Group as they uh, have been with us since day one and want to point out Centrale, probably the lesser, not the lesser of the three, of the three, the one that we spend the least amount of time speaking of uh, when talking about uh, Madison Social or our township there. But so Centrale turns four this Thursday and uh, they are celebrating with a late night pizza party from 9 to 11 on Thursday, they'll have 25% off all pizza, $7 Strong Islands, $4 Wells, $4 House Wine, $4 Domestic Beer, again, Centrale, tucked right behind Madison Social there in College Town, uh, late night pizza party from 9 to 11 this Thursday as they celebrate their fourth anniversary. Awesome, man. So Andrew asks us, uh, Hey, say a hypothetical preseason wager, putting money on the defensive line, being better than the offensive line, how much money would you have lost? I kind of feel like like we already answered that one in a previous question. We, we Just to, in the interest of timeliness, let's let's go ahead. Andrew, we appreciate the question. We're going to go uh, to your second part of your question. He says, honestly, though, what point do we blame Odell for the D-line, or is it all in the players? Maybe even the linebackers. I remember a short while ago, Dell said he was considering retirement at one point. Is it getting close to that time, or is it this year just an anomaly? I could see other teams negatively recruiting against us using his age and then showing clips of the defensive line this season. Uh, well, I mean, I don't disagree with with any of that. His his unit has played poorly. Florida State's getting negatively recruited on every front possible right now. So I I wouldn't say that is, uh, is out of line to consider. Uh, look, I'm real hesitant to blame Odell. I mean, the guy has been one of the better position coaches for a long damn time and had his detractors 10 years ago and turned around and, and kind of had a renaissance in his career and reemerged as one of the better defensive tackle countries, uh, coaches in the country. Now, is he like the best X's and O guy? Is he, is he, you know, somebody that would have gone on and continued up the, the college uh, football pyramid as a defensive coordinator, or maybe got a employed on Sundays? No, not really, but he's the, He's a really good coach and pretty good coach at getting the most out of his players. So um, I am going to give Odell the benefit of the doubt for as long as possible. But of course, there's a, an idea of, of a transition. I mean, you know, one of the appealing things for Odell about possibly being the head coach at Florida State is that he would have been the head coach at Florida State, but also it would have severely limited what is asked of him on the recruiting trail. I mean, that is an absolute meat grinder. And when you're a you know, former players it, <laughs> entering into the back half of his life. I mean, doing the recruiting tour is a really tough thing to do. Now, obviously, with COVID and everything else, you haven't been getting on commercial airline flights and flying to Atlanta to fly to Memphis, to try to fly to Kentucky or some of the crazy things that, that take place in Florida State's recruiting calendar. But um, it's a grind, man. And 
you know, it's Odell has openly talked about the fact that he's not going to coach forever. So I, I certainly think there's probably some kind of transition in mind. And, you know, maybe that means Odell slides up and, and works as an ambassador for the boosters for the next five years or something like that. But I'm, you know, that's, that's something that everybody's kind of talked around for a period of time. So I don't know that that would necessarily be a major shock. Yeah. So, you know, some other parts of his question, right. Is it all on the players? No, it, it, honestly, I think it's part of it is, is make sure that your ends and, and tackles are, are working together. And I, I don't think that the, this coaching staff has done a good job of that this year. We, 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 we see them sometimes, some of these guys, and this could be a player issue, right? Like, it's not like we're texting the coaches about every single play and, hey, like, what happened here? Because I don't think they would tell us. Ultimately, though, sometimes you see your, your tackles and your ends, those groups not working in concert. And I, I don't think the communication there has been very good. We certainly, we already discussed this, but like, sometimes the techniques being played by your defensive line and your backers just doesn't make any sense to pair those together. So it, People say, well, how do you know that? How do you know the play call? Sometimes I don't know the play call, but I have enough football sense to know that you won't ask your defensive line to play this technique and your backers to play this technique. There's certain, there's certain calls that you have to marry with each other so you don't have two guys running the same gap and have no guys running the other gap, which I know we have another question about this coming later when, uh, when Kesna asked us about some of these run plays that Notre Dame hit. But like, there's certain techniques that they that you you play as complementary football and it's just of just decent sound common sense defense even at the peewee level or you know pop warner whatever you guys called it i mean this is pretty clearly uh something that, that they're having having trouble with right now uh caleb asks hey it's inexplicable how all american possibly first second round pick like marvelous playing average year are he coop and durden all hurt and we just don't know about it uh, the DNs are absolute trash. They rarely keep contained and basically never get home and passing downs. I highly doubt Odell forgot to coach. So WTF. Well, Odell doesn't coach the defensive ends anymore, right? That's that's John Peaches. Uh, so he's not probably going to want to take credit for the defensive ends being terrible. By the way, great timing by Odell. If you want to give up coaching defensive ends, like this would be the year to do it, man. Because like for all the talk about the D tackles, the DNs have been worse. This is a, a solid year to not coach defensive ends. Cooper certainly has has a hurt element to him right now. I, I, I think you can you can pretty clearly see that when he's out there. He's coming off that injury. Durden was hurt for a good bit of the offseason and was delayed coming back. So I, I have some hope that he can get right, you know, and uh, and improve as the season goes on. You know, Marv just doesn't look explosive. Maybe it's an out-of-shape issue. Maybe he is hiding an injury that I don't know about that they, they, they haven't talked about. I, I don't know, but he doesn't have... I never thought he was the most explosive guy in the world, but certainly he was powerful. And this year, he just doesn't look, just looks just, just average, man. Again, I'll reiterate what I said. Go watch, just go watch the first half of the Boise State game and tell me that that's any semblance of the player that we're seeing right now. Uh, simply not, in my opinion. I mean, I, I don't think anybody, nobody's opinion should, should it be, I, I don't think, right? I mean, like what? What has he been good at? I guess if he has the opportunity to make a tackle, he he makes a tackle, which is better than some guys on the team right now. So Mark asks a question. Hey guys, had a question for the podcast. What changes, if any, is Fuller made on the defense? Also, if the draft was next week, does Marvin Wilson get drafted at this point? Ooh, I, I guess we can take both these. So changes that he's made. As far as I know, they're running one scheme, which last year they were trying to marry two different schemes together. So that, that's, that's been an important change. Um, they are trying to do a lot of different stuff 
right now. And they're trying to do it with a lot of different guys. I mean, that, that game was entirely not in garbage time. And you had, you had 20 guys play double digit snaps for that defense. I mean, you had like 15 guys, I think, play 20 plus. I think we're running a little bit late tonight to do it, bud, in our UNC preview. Uh, let's build 10 minutes in to just get your opinion about the challenges the defenses are facing in general this year. The lack of defense that we're seeing across the country nationally and maybe how we can have some kind of perspective with with Florida State's uh, problems and, and some of the you know problematic challenges that we've seen as far as a, a first-year install in a, in a COVID year. Sure. Uh, by the way, I was looking through, um, you know, we, we, we were joking around last podcast, like which, uh, which things are like, are you really, really bad at on a team that, that's pretty bad? You know, like wh- which stands out in, in bright red, potentially if you're you know, looking at like a color coded spreadsheet, there's one that really stands out above everything else to me. Defense. Yeah. Just defense in general. That's, that's pretty bad. They're also, Pretty bad at field position, which goes hand in hand because you're 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 you, know, you have a lot of drives to go three and out, and you also you know, have very you know, have very few drives. You actually force three and out, so teams are usually able to flip the field at least a little bit before before you force you know a, a punt. Um, but I actually found an area where FSU's defense is very good. Big play prevention through the air. They are eighth in the country. In limiting passing explosiveness. Now there may be a trade-off here, Ingram. You might argue. Well, I was going to say when you can run for eleven, why uh, why try to throw the ball? But yeah, so that was uh, that was surprising to me. I, I didn't realize that they were that good you know, at preventing that. They also uh, they don't force a whole lot of third and long situations. I don't know if you realize that or not. But uh, if you were sitting there thinking, man, I wonder if FSU's defense, if they face a lot of third down and longs. The answer is no. They, they face a lot of third and ones and third and twos and uh, seem to give them up uh, almost every time. And uh, that is, that's the biggest, if we want to go back to the narrative buster, and I know we, we touched on all this, but the, the idea that Florida State can't play predictable short down a distance defense strap C4 to my mind and, and press the trigger. I, I, can't, I can't even wrap my mind around it. It's, it's really unbelievable. You know what they're dead last in the country at? Uh, is it stops in those situations? No, uh, they're not good there. But uh, we have another team this year, so Temple is now playing. So now we have it's now it's out of seventy five teams. They are dead last in the nation in success rate allowed on standard downs. So first down, mm, you know, second okay. seven wow. or better, third and and four or better. So that does kind of fit into your narrative because obviously third and short is a, is a standard down, not a passing down. 59% success rate allowed. That's not all about talent, guys. That is that is about talent. It's about experience. It's about want to from the players, buy-in, install struggles, and also coaching, right? Like I there's this narrative out there that this is all about the players and that and that they're being put in position to make plays. And there's this narrative that it's all about the coaches. And quite frankly, I, I think both are wrong, right? And we'll, we'll get to that in a second here because I know we have some questions that we can, we can actually pretty well illustrate this point. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and do that because uh, I think, I think Kessna uh, has, well, we need to say, will, will Marvin Wilson be drafted? 
if the, if the draft was next week. I, I say yes. Yeah, draft was next week. Uh, Marvin goes in the back half of the fourth round, in my opinion. Yeah, you can't ignore the junior tape, and you also can't ignore this year's tape. We'll enter into the final uh, quarter of tonight's podcast by thanking our friends at Congruity. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized. Congruity strives to create value for our customers by delivering a truly unique client-centric experience that helps them accomplish their desired goals, inspires performance, engages their employees on a more personal level, and fosters a positive culture. Congruity is highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Contact our friend Matt Lewis at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right, so let's go to Keston. Keston always asks pretty good questions. And he says, uh, hey, Notre Dame ran a trap play, which resulted in multiple runs of over 40 yards. That's pretty depressing to give up multiple runs over 40 yards. Uh, can you break down one of these plays, which is most useful in demonstrating what the defense was doing wrong? Uh, yeah, I, I can, actually. And so there's a couple things here. Number one, I, Ingram and I have disagreement on, on one of these, but I, I think that Notre Dame is running a pretty similar play on all three. I, I think it's just counter to be honest. Um, this is a play that we ran a lot in high school. You see it at basically every level of football. You're getting down blocks, and then you're getting the guard, sometimes the tackle, sometimes the tight end as well, to follow and, and come around on the pull with some counteraction. Notre Dame had a nice little wrinkle out of their double tight. They actually took uh, and motioned their their slot guy in kind of kind of like a, a, a jet motion, not an order, but, but you know, a jet into trips. Their backs take, take a good de- dedicated counter step. They they're getting FSU to fast flow. FSU was pretty you know pretty aggressive for a lot of this game in fast flowing to the football. And Notre Dame you know did a good job of of going to that. A couple of different things happen on these, so it's not the same thing happening on one of them. You basically just you're you're blitzing off the edge. Okay, the, the blitzer comes a little bit wide. He's a freshman in Lundy who played two ways in high school. You know, probably doesn't have a whole lot of experience doing this. This is the danger of playing freshman and going full youth movement because you're going to have, like, you know, some of your old guys like Leonard Warner, they'll miss tackles in the hole. And, and but for the most part, they're not just completely clueless out there what they're doing. Some of these freshmen right now, they play with a lot of energy. They play with some physicality relative to their to their age, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing, and so. Lundy comes on the blitz. He's aggressive with it. I love it. But he doesn't notice that they're like, he doesn't notice, huh? That tackle who I'm you know, supposed to kind of be like one of my landmarks. He's down blocking. And I see these two pullers coming at me right out of, out of my left eye. He just kind of continues on and he doesn't really squeeze it down well enough. At the same time, I, I couldn't tell who it is when, when I was watch, watching the replay. I see either McClendon or Janarius, uh, but the left tackle for Notre Dame, who we previewed, uh, Liam Eichenberg, is an absolute stud and uh, you know all American type. He, so he he completely washes the D end, who I, I think is probably McClendon or or Janarius. It's not Kando. Okay, so so McClendon just gets absolutely physically washed, and it's really not like it's not. I don't think it's totally a technique issue here. It's just physically he can't hold up against an all American. He just gets you know dragged and. Uh, then you have freshman Steven Dix, your other linebacker. So you're playing two freshman linebackers right now at this point. Uh, he just he, he just kind of cheats up to the line of scrimmage 
unnecessarily before he actually is able to read and figure out what's going on with the play, which he is slow to do on this play. Once he does realize it, guess what happens? He has no angle because he's crept up so close to the line of scrimmage. So now he actually tries to try and try and climb around the trash, like the pile that's been created there. The guards have a tremendous angle on him. In fact, one of the guys doesn't have everybody to block because <laughs> Dix has taken himself out of the play. McClendon was taken out of the play by the great block. Uh, and Lundy, who is probably the least culpable here, did not really like he didn't do a great job of recognizing and squeezing, but he's, he's a freshman on, on the blitz and, and I'm just happy that he's going hard and, and doing that. So I have a hard time faulting him there. Uh, too bad. So on that one play, we're seeing kind of a microcosm. So you have two true freshmen who are making kind of mental errors or technique errors. And you have one guy who has just not been developed. And I do think that this defense absolutely has a developmental deficit. We've used that term on this show before, but I think that's, that's happening there. Uh, and he just gets completely washed to where there's a huge hole for the best back that Notre Dame has had in maybe 20 years to run through. So not a great setup there <laughs> if you want to stop him uh, to have that go on. On another play, this is yet another example of what we were talking about. And on the first one, like I, I don't know if if Lundy's supposed to wrong arm that. If he does, then maybe it makes more sense to you know to ha- have Dick's loop there. So on on the the other one, well, there's actually three explosive ones, but but on, on yet another one, this is the one where they're they're running um, the, the camera angle from the broadcast. This looks like it's going to the to the top of the screen, you know, as as far as where, where, where the run goes. Notre Dame, first of all, has good blocking angles on FSU. I think FSU's lined up okay there. They they're slanting and and basically playing a little game with with their end and tackle. Uh, so. I, or at least that's a, I think that's what they're doing. Either that or, or, or they're just in a slant. Um, but this is an example of a situation where your defensive line is not working in conjunction with each other and with your backers. Uh, so on this play, is it Durden or, uh, or is it Love It? I think it might be Durden. He jumps out like, like he's, you know, trying to do a little, little T stunt here, right? With, with him going first, and then it should be the defensive end, Josh Griffiths, looping around and crashing underneath him. This is a good way to kind of get a tackle for loss sometimes if she's trying to play a game. I, I can see what they're doing here. This is the third of the three long runs, I believe we're referencing now. I think so, yeah. This is the one that to me looks like might be a trap of the three, but um, doesn't really matter. For sure. Again, I think you have some freshman backers in here, although one might be Warner. He's taking some, whoever it is, he's taking some false steps. You have Josh Griffiths not looping underneath uh, Durden or Lovett. I'm, I'm trying to remember which, which one it was when I was watching. So, Ingram, do you know what happens if your D-tackle jumps out, but the stunt is not completed, so you don't have anybody filling his gap, and you were already in a position to where you had to slant your other guys in order to cut down the angles, but Notre Dame is, is a really good offensive line and they are, you know, down blocking on you. You have a hole. You and I could you and I could square dance through this thing, man. Yeah, you got you got you got ten guys chasing the ball and uh, <laughs> and a safety who's about six yards too late. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh depressing. Depre- like you said in the in the instant. Um occasionally you'll see that with a pass play, you know, so you'll have an error something will break loose and you'll just have a guy run, run in kind of uncontested to see that repetitively in a run game. is a, is a tough thing to watch. 
it, it, there are so many issues going on right now. I really wish I could just point you all to one. L- lack of teamwork uh, is, is a major one. Just not, not having guys play correctly together and not having like not doing things that that work together that i I honestly i I do put on coaching they should look sharper in my opinion after four games as far as that uh you have some stuff that is not going to be fixed with coaching like you know true freshman errors which maybe griffiths griffiths lundy stephen dix those are guys that maybe in the future will be good players for you they are at least aggressive right now but they're not always playing to their assignment um and then you have some dudes who are just out there because you got to play somebody. And when you run up against a dude like Liam Eikenberg, you're going to get worked. And that's what happened. Kesna, there's really not one, you know, one great answer, but I think baked into my answer is some hope, right? Like as this defense gets more experience, assuming that they keep believing in coach Fuller and listening to him and whatnot. uh, I, and he has put them in position to make plays at times too. Let's not forget, like you've had some guys just miss tackles in confined areas where there's no reason for them to miss tackles. And they, they got to be able to finish plays and actually knock guys off schedule. There, there's been a million plays this year where they had a chance to actually finish a play, create a tackle for loss, get an offense off schedule, and they just don't do it. You know, um, That's really not, to me, on coaching. So it's some coaching, some player experience, and some player ability. I hope, I hope, that, uh, I hope that's a, a, a decent answer there. I hope so, too. Just as a podcast note, Bud and I probably watched three plays for about 35 minutes before uh, pressing the record tonight and trying to get an idea as to that one. So, uh, Kesson, appreciate the question and hope we answered it as well as possible. Last question of the evening comes from Matt. Matt says, I feel positive about the offense coming out of the Notre Dame game. I don't feel confident about the defense. And moreover, now we're in trouble when it comes to future defense talent with Brandon Jennings' decommitment. In your opinion, is there a chance Florida State regains a commitment from Jennings if the defense does not improve dramatically? Uh, Then he has a second part of a question that we'll get to after that. Yes, I do think there's a chance FSU regains a commitment. I I spoke to some sources today, and they said, look, if there's a reason for optimism, it's obviously the the legacy connection, the fact that he does like FSU staff, and I think he's looking for a reason to believe in what they're doing. I mean, I think playing Dix and Lundy uh, is is part of a recruiting strategy too, right? And showing, hey, we will play young guys. We want to play guys who are going to be aggressive. We're going to learn and grow, you know, all all throughout there. The other thing that they told me is, look, he's not necessarily locked in to another school that has his ear right now. I know you've heard Georgia Tech. I think you've heard Maryland. Obviously, with the Georgia Tech connection, they have Jeff Sims, who was committed to FSU. FSU decided to kind of go in a different direction or at least recruit multiple quarterbacks, depending on who you believe. Sims is having a very nice freshman year for Georgia Tech. Um, you know, I mean, he's had some real lows, but he's also had some real highs for them, including a, a game on, on Thursday night or Friday night, whatever night that was, against, uh, against Louisville. Yeah, they definitely have a chance to get back in. And I'm not a big believer in getting a guy back and decommits from you. But this is a 2020 COVID year, and I think a lot of our preconceived notions need to be thrown out the window as far as what we think we know on stuff. Got to have this kid, you know, and, and I hate saying that about a high school prospect, but uh, it's, it's a big PR black eye if you can't get this guy back on the fold, and particularly some of the names that we talked about. Now, Georgia Tech, I had heard some rumblings from the Georgia camp. Is that because they necessarily are going to get him? 
or is it just because they have, like you said, some people that are you know close to the situation, close to the kid that maybe they had a heads up on that to where other programs didn't? Uh, Maryland, Georgia Tech, those are schools you need to be beaten. You know, if Miami gets back involved at a high level, we'll have to see what happens. But Jennings is a is a guy that you need to get his his signature uh, one way or another. So, secondly, uh, Matt asked, how long? <laughs> Uh, how long will Florida State wait on Fuller to fix the defense? Obviously, we're not going to give Norbell the boot, nor should we, but what about Fuller? Can the defense struggles be blamed on coaching? And ultimately, what would it take for Florida State to part ways with Fuller should the blame fall to him? I, I really don't think you need to be changing any coordinators after just a year, especially not in this year. Like Part of the reason why Florida State is in the mess it's in right now is because of hastily made coaching changes. And that's not to say that 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 firing Willie Taggart was wrong. Clearly, they wouldn't have done it if they knew COVID was coming. They would have just waited out another year. I just think you need to have some continuity, man. It, it, like, I don't think that, that Adam Fuller has forgotten how to coach. They have not gotten through to these players to the extent they needed to get through them this year so far. That's clear. Do you fire a guy if he's failed to produce results for one year? No. I don't think so, especially because not because Norvell has a pretty good record for hiring coaches. And this is not some guy who was his second or third choice. I mean, I, I think this was he was pretty pretty intent on on getting on getting Fuller, if I recall, right? There there was some kind of internet chatter about Dan Lanning, but I don't think that was ever realistic. And he did see that Fuller improved the Memphis defense almost immediately when he got there. Um so far, he's been unable to do that to FSU. They've also played, you know, like some some very good teams so far. Although, you know, we might think Miami's not a good team. Uh, I contend that Miami is a very good team against almost everybody except for like you know top eight, top to, you know top five level teams, um, because there's just certain things they do on offense that are going to work against all but the best of defenses out there. Uh, which FSU's obviously not, you know, in that group. But I, I, I don't know. Man, you think there's any way they, they part ways with Fuller after just this, just one year? I mean, I guess it would depend on who you go get, right? I mean, maybe, maybe if you get a chance to somebody. But this is a guy. I, I, I don't use the term like, oh, this is Mike Norvell's boy or whatever. No, that I means they just work together. And uh, if Norvell has anything that you can take from his record, he certainly seems to have an eye for talent and uh, a coaching talent. I don't think there's this. I, I, you might see some change at some position coaches on the defense, uh, but I don't think you have any kind of coordinator turnover this year. I mean, you you would have to be continue to be wildly anemic, and for us to continue to see stats like the other teams averaging 11 yards a carry. Uh, but uh, we'll see. I don't think that's a legitimate possibility for multiple reasons at this point. I, I, I think that's that's fair. Um, that's kind of all I got for tonight, man. We go like an hour and 20 minutes. That's that's crazy. But uh, we, we've had pr- really strong interest and strong numbers in the show. So, Yeah, always very fortunate and enjoy doing these. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, I know that we've both gotten our orders from Home Field Apparel. Those are awesome, great clothes. Excited to be able to partner with them. And I uh, thought they uh, you did, did a great job on the instant that they'll be bringing our listeners uh, here in the future. So. Uh, but I think that'll be tonight's episode of the Nolcast, and we will be back with you in 48 hours to uh, transition more to looking at the UNC game. Oh, shoot, dude. I didn't hit record. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I just wanted to see your face. Justin, you, you can leave that in if you want. <laughs> This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.